Turn with me to Titus chapter 2. We're continuing our series here in um, Titus. So Titus chapter 2, and then I'm going to read verse 1 and then skip to verse 4. Out of the New King James, speaking the things which are proper for sound doctrine, verse 4 from chapter 2, that the older women admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works and doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Let's open in prayer. Father, you know, um, you know, I, I need help this morning. Um, help to, to speak clearly what you want. And so I, I ask for that help. Father, we are all reliant on you for every breath we have and everything that we, we have, every, all our gifts, everything we have comes from you. So I, I just pray for help this morning, uh, not just for me speaking clearly, but also for hearing clearly what you have to say. There are things that uh, that mean something to me here in this passage, but may not mean something to somebody else. And so I pray that you would uh, be speaking to each individual as we go through the, the passage, that they may hear what they need to hear and apply it to their lives. Father, again, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the freedom here to share your word, to speak it um, freely here, to speak it without fear of retaliation from others. Thank you for that freedom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're in a section where Paul is intersecting doctrine doctrine, a system of beliefs or teaching with our Christian walk, how we live. The culture and creed at that time was heavily influenced by the Romans, the Greeks, along with their ancient beliefs. There's not much said as you as you try to find about what the culture was like, but you see that it had wealth and influence from multiple cultures because it's a main trade route in the Mediterranean. Paul observed several cultural issues when in Crete and commissioned Titus to address those issues. The issues for older, younger men, women, free, and enslaved. That's the first eight verses we have here in Titus chapter 2. In other words, it was for all people in all walks of life. And that's the first point I want to tell you this morning that we are all sinners. We all start from the same place. Lost, unable to help ourselves out of the situation we find ourselves in. The situation that we deserve to die because we do not meet the righteous requirements of a holy God. But God did not leave us there, did He? No, He sent His Son, Jesus, to die in our place to fulfill the requirements for us so that by faith in Jesus, we can have the righteousness of God. 
In Romans 3, 21 and 22, it says this, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. I don't want you to miss it. It's through faith and for all. It's for everyone in all walks of life. And then it says, if we look, those who have faith in Jesus are being changed from what we were into the likeness of His image. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. This is the sound doctrine that Paul is talking about. The doctrine of salvation by faith alone. The doctrine of being a new creation in Christ. But we are not there yet. We have not become perfected. So we need God's Word to instruct us how to live. It is a a movement from the doctrine, just teaching or belief, to works and actions, Christian living, that show our belief. This is the commission by Paul that shows that salvation is only the first step in the Christian life. God is not just interested in us being saved from hell. He is interested in how we live and living for Him. This is not done, living for Him is not done for position or status with God, but to show that we are changed from who we were into something new. Let me repeat that again. How we live is not done for position or status with God, but to show that we are changed from who we were into something new. Colossians chapter 3 has similar thoughts. It says this, If I have died and been raised with Christ, it's that doctrinal statement of that I have died with Him and been raised with Him. I am something new. I am, my life is hidden in Him. But then he goes on in Colossians chapter 3 to say, seek the things that are above. That's Christian living, isn't it? It's not a doctrinal statement. That's how we should live. My good works or actions have nothing to do with obtaining salvation, but everything to do with me already being saved, with me being a new creation. Daniel Strange in his book, Plugged In, Connecting Your Faith with What You Watch, Read, and Play, says this, We should be rightfully fearful of ever conducting ourselves in a way that suggests our new birth doesn't matter. We should be rightfully fearful of ever conducting ourselves in a way that suggests our new birth doesn't matter. It's interesting that it's in a book to talk about how you connect your faith to what you watch, read, and play. But this is the position Paul has as he addresses culture issues in the Christian church. His desire is for them to be built up properly so that they can show in their lives the genuineness of their faith. So let's go back and read Titus 2, 4-8 through again. It says this, that the older women admonish the younger women to love their husbands, 
to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded, in all things showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, have nothing evil to say to you. The cultural issues with the young women appear to be the aspects of family and social life, their actions, marriage, and raising of children. For the young men, the issue seems to be their thoughts, their actions, and their words. We have issues in these areas of life today. Therefore, it's important for us to study today in the local church these issues and figure out how to be built up properly in the faith. Keep using the word culture or cultural issues to describe the passage. It's interesting, Daniel Strange in his book defines culture. He talks about this. He says, religion externalized, it is how we show on the outside what we believe on the inside. Culture is how we worship. It is the way in which we show what we really value to our hearts. Think about that. Culture is how we worship. It is the way we show what we really value to our hearts. So as we look at this passage, as we try to have sound doctrine, we see that what Paul really valued in his heart. He valued that God would be honored in all things, that all men would come to salvation. I'm not going to read it, but verse 11 is the key verse in chapter 2. As we go down 11 and 12 and 13, these are the verses that are really exciting. So as we read through the verses this morning, it's all pointing. It's pointing that way to the passage later. Now, as we deal with a passage like this, where there's a list of kind of things that Paul tells Titus to go teach, to go have for sound doctrine, we have a couple traps in that, right? First, we can fall in the trap of thinking this is some way to gain salvation or favor with God. I've already stated this morning that Titus chapter 2 is not about salvation. Doing these things will not get you saved. Salvation is by faith. does not bring us any favor with God either. It is instructions to the believer. Secondly, when we look at a passage like this, we tend to look at it just at the passage. So there's some pitfall items, I'll say, in this passage. So just to maybe give a, an easy example or an extreme example of that, if we just looked at this passage, we would make the assumption that all young women need to be married. We know that's not true, right? Because if you look at 1 Corinthians 7, Paul, Paul teaches against that fact. In fact, he's encouraged. He encourages people to remain single in that passage. Um, so in the same way, we need to be careful of taking the, this passage in Titus and what Paul gave Titus to teach the Corinthians 
as the only teaching or passage about these subjects. Lastly, we can follow the pitfall of thinking this is a cultural issue for the Cretans only. It's not relevant for me today. This is the problems they had. Well, we know that's... <laughs> I guess I'll, I'll ask you, the cultural issues that Paul's talking to the, to the young women and the young men about, for the young women, it's family and social life. For the young men, it's their thoughts, actions, and words. These seem very relevant topics today for us to think about and to learn from. So as we look to avoid these traps, let's start to look a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper into the passage. I'm going to read Titus 2, 4 and 5 again. That the older women admonish the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. First, the instruction to Titus is to have the older women to admonish or teach the younger women. In my mind, there's a couple practical reasons for this. One, to avoid gossip from the outside world. You have this young man, probably single, in Titus, and if he goes about teaching the young women in each of their homes, what does that look like? to an unbelieving world. Secondly, the older women, and I think more importantly, the older women have direct experience that they can pass down to the younger women about these good things. This is the first application point I'd have to tell you guys this morning. There are things to be taught to the next generation based on our experiences. Are you passing good things along to the next generation? So secondly, the purpose of the actions of the younger women is not for themselves or to improve their relationships. You may think as you read through it, these things that they're being taught to do, to love their husbands, love their children, those are relational things. And maybe that's to help them. But that's not the point of the passage. That's not why it's being taught. It is that the word of God may not be spoken about badly. It's about the word of God. Too often people are close to the gospel because of the experience they have with the Christian. This is the sad reality that we live in. Our lives are a testimony that what is written in the Bible is true and relevant for today. To put it maybe in a simpler way, we are the brand of Christ. We are His brand. Now, branding is nothing new for us in the United States. I think if I asked you to give me some brands, you could easily do it. Even at the young age, kids recognize different brands, and I think that's on purpose. Um, the best brands, I think, have no words. So when I give you a brand like Apple... McDonald's, Starbucks, Shell, maybe not so relevant for the older group, Snapchat, um, Nike. Each one of you probably had at least one picture that came into your mind when I said those brands. You had something that you thought about. 
In the same way, when people see us, do they think about Christ? And that's the second point of application I have today, is people cannot see Jesus Christ today, but they do see his followers. And from those interactions, they are assessing his brand. What brand of Jesus Christ are you telling in your life? Now, my applications are probably more questions for you just to think about. And also another follow-on application. Our motivation for doing these good things needs to be God alone. Not for self, the world, our spouse, our neighbors, or our children. If it's not for God alone, our spouse, our neighbors, the world, those things will let us down. If it's for ourself, we'll let ourselves down. We'll get discouraged. Needs to be for God alone. So as we see these instructions given to the young women that Paul gives Titus, think about how they provide a way for the Word of God to be spoken badly about. Or maybe if they weren't doing these things. I think it's pretty obvious that if some of these things were not happening, the Word of God could be spoken about badly, that they aren't new believers, that there isn't a new life. Now, I'm not going to go word by word down this this list because I don't think that's what's needed in this passage. I think the main teaching is for us to think about how we're protecting the Word of God or how are we in our lives portraying, what are we portraying so that the Word of God may not be maligned. But I do want to address three areas just because they're tricky. So I'm not shying away from that. But they're not because I think anybody in this room needs needs any um, learning in this areas. I think it's more because we struggle in these areas. And the three areas I have are the, the area of love, for love of husbands and love of children, the area of homemakers, a lot could be upset about that, and the area of being obedient to one's own husband. And we want to have a biblical view as we look at these three. I'd say even in the church sometimes things have creeped in to have us think something different than what Paul has intended here. So first, love. A little bit on my soapbox here. I'm sorry on love. Um, because I, I see a world that tells us what love is. And I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. But the Greek language is much better about being expressive about the different forms of love. There's eight different words in the Greek language that we translate as love in the English. So, but having different types of love isn't really that hard of a concept to grasp. In fact, I think most people naturally realize that there are different types of love. You don't love your children, your child, the same way you love your spouse. You don't love your parents the same way you love a boyfriend or a girlfriend. So it's easy to see that there are different ways, different types of love. There's also different ways you could love your spouse or someone. And so 
The concept isn't really hard and difficult, but I think it's difficult because of the culture we live in. Now, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I think the culture promotes sex as love, or at least the highest form of love. And I can tell you that's not a biblical view. <laughs> as an example of this, I'll, I'll tattle on myself a little bit here and how this can easily slip into our thinking. Before I started looking at the, the Greek words and studying the passage, I was thinking the part for love the husband was going to save some physical interaction, that the wife should be physically loving to her husband. That's not the case. There is the aspect of being physical, but that's taught in 1 Corinthians. Part of my thought process in that was that there was a segregating. It says love of husbands, love of children. But in this passage, actually the Greek word for love is the same, phileo, for both loving your husband and loving your children. But it's also different because of who the receiver is, right? It's not different because of the type of love it is, but it's also different, differentiated because of the receiver. Phileo represents tender affection. Tender affection. And so, just by way of application or asking, I would ask the young women to think about what affectionate, non-sexual ways are you loving your husband? Now, as I said, we can't take these things in a vacuum, so there are several directions for husbands to love their wives. The most complete is in Ephesians 5. But the word love for husbands loving their wives is agapeo. So as we think about this, you can contrast the two ways that the husband and the wife are asked to love each other in Scripture. First, it's a different type of love. The husband is called to a greater love. A love as Christ loved the church, a love that is described in 1 Corinthians 13, that as you look at it and you think about and you assess how you love your spouse as a husband, you realize you fall short. But it's the love we're called to do. The second is the example. Husbands are called to follow the example of Christ. Well, young women are called to follow the example of the older women. But they are called to love their husbands nonetheless. They're also called to love their children. I can tell you firsthand experience, sometimes children are unlovable. Maybe I should say just hard to love. They put you in awkward and embarrassing situations. And I was thinking about that a little bit of why do they seem unlovable in that? And it's probably our pride, right? Our pride that they embarrassed us. But I, I guess that's the application I want to ask this morning. How are you going to love your children in these moments? These moments that are awkward and embarrassing. Older women, I would encourage you to help teach the younger women how to love their children in these situations because I know, I know you've been through them. Because I know I'm not unique in this situation. So to love, 
They're called to love. Secondly, they're called to be homemakers. There could be a lot to do about this, but I think Charles Swindoll gives a, a really good summary of this. He said, homemakers should not be understood and applied as many did in previous generations who saw women working outside the home in offices and factories as a threat to the integrity of the household. Paul did not write this to prohibit women from working outside the home. Homemaker is a powerful, industrious, resourceful partner, fully engaged in cultivating her family's well-being and in building a family legacy. Proverbs 31, we read about the virtuous wife. And as you look at the description of the wife from Proverbs, you see that she's active in buying, selling, making, trading, protecting her family. I'd like to point out that most of the items in Proverbs 31 can be descriptive of a virtuous woman, not just a wife. So if you're single, don't discredit that passage. Look at it. If you're a single young lady, look at it and see what's said about a virtuous woman. Now, not every house is a home. Not every home is, is, needs to be in a house. As Sarah and I were talking about what it means to be a homemaker and the wife's responsibility to make the house a home, we talked about this. It's a place that is inviting for family to be in, a place of shelter for the world outside, from the world outside for kids, a place where others enjoy to be. It's a home. She's a homemaker. One other thought I have to move on before I move on is, it's a very tough one, ladies don't despise one another's position. What I mean by that is those who are working for pay outside the home do not despise or look down on those who don't. And those who don't work for pay outside the home don't look down on or despise those who do. Last, they're obedient to their own husbands. Translated here, obedient in Titus, but rendered submission in other passages. This is really one phrase we need to look at in light of other scripture, specifically again, Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3, to, not, to teach not only about submission wife, but also the husband's responsibility is to love in a marriage relationship. To just say that the women wife is to be obedient to her husband without addressing the other side would be negligent. Submission, according to Charles Swindoll, is self-willed difference to the desire of their husbands. Submission, I'll tell you, is not equal to subjection. The wife is not the slave of the husband. They are partners together in the marriage relationship. Just like in a ballroom dance, one of the partners needs to take the lead. And in ballroom dancing, it's usually the male. Scripture says this, the lead, the leadership, is the husband's responsibility. And I would say, in some ways, the burden that he must bear. He leads in love as Christ led us and gave himself for us. The wife's role is to, to submit to his leadership. So Paul goes on from his attention to young women to young men. 
In verse 6, it says this, Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned. That one who is opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say to you. Again, I'll draw to your attention to why the young men are doing these things. Is for those who oppose the gospel can have nothing evil to say. Here Paul is saying that the actions of the believer speak louder than his or her words. And the two need to go hand in hand in our Christian life. Notice the progression Paul, Paul has with the young men. He starts with their thoughts and then goes to their actions and finally their words. What we think about drives what we do. So, as application, what are you spending your time thinking about? So let's progress through this and talk a little bit about having a sober mind. The young men are, are called to have a sober, be sober-minded, to have their thoughts be that way. It's interesting that in Romans there is a there is a passage that tells us about uh, being sober-minded and what the antithesis of it is. It's pride. Here in Romans 12.3 it says this, For I say through the grace given to me that everyone who is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Sometimes when we're here in the church, we can have that that problem of being proud, proud of our position or proud of what we're doing. And here, Paul's instructions to the Romans was, that's not being sober-minded. That's the instruction to young men. <laughs> not just young men, I would say. Sometimes us older men can get in that bad line of thinking. But I think as we want to assess our thought life, what we think about, I think we should use Philippians 4.8 as a guide. Philippians 4.8 says this, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, think on these things. And that's my application. We need to filter what we think about through God's Word. We need to filter it through this to figure out if it's truth or not. There's a lot of, there's a lot of people telling us what truth is. There's a lot of things out there that want to tell you what is true. This is the only source that I know of that you can wholly trust to be true and accurate. Secondly, their actions are to be a pattern for others to follow. Paul's not asking young men to do anything he wasn't willing to do himself. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says this, Imitate me just as I imitate Christ. He calls the believers to follow his example. He called them to follow him, not because he wanted them to be like him, but because he wanted them to be like Christ. 
And here you can see the pattern is not just any old pattern. It is a pattern of good works, what they're supposed to be doing. That Greek word for pattern is tupos. It not only has this idea of being a model, but the, also the idea of being a scar, or having marks of witness. It's the same word that's used for the nail prints in Jesus' hand. They were a witness of him. And I think that's important. It gives us a second thought here that not only the young men are to be a pattern for others to follow, but also the good works are to be imprint, an imprint on their lives. It's supposed to leave an imprint, an impression on their lives. They're supposed to be known by them or characterized by them. Remember that these good works are not for us to gain favor with God. Good works are done so that those who oppose the gospel will have nothing evil to say. So just some thoughts maybe to apply is, what would, you, what would someone say are the characteristics of your life? Are you a pattern for others to follow? Can they see from your actions what you believe? So their thoughts, their actions, now their words. Lastly, they are to speak truthful words with dignity. And only take part of a Warren Wearsby quote to say, what if they're just truthful words? Warren Wearsby says, truth without love is brutality. When, we, when you speak with dignity, you speak in such a way that those who are opposed will give you honor and respect, even if they don't agree with your position. This is something that's lacking in our culture today. Speaking in such a way of dig, with dignity. Remember, the reason Paul is telling Titus to teach the young men, teach the young men this, is that their opponent may be corrected and have nothing evil to say about them. This is all about for the testimony of God. So I ask you, how are we, how are we speaking the truth to others? Is just as important as, as speaking the truth. Maybe say, let me say that again. How we speak the truth to others is just as important as speaking the truth. Again, truth without love is brutality. So let me sum up here. Paul's encouraging Titus to create a new culture in Crete, a Christian culture, one that not only speaks the truth, but lives it out in their everyday lives. We too should be encouraged to live out our beliefs and impact the culture around us. So I'll leave you with this question as we close. How will you live out sound doctrine this week? How will you live out sound doctrine this week? Let's think about that. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for instruction. Help us, help us to realize, those of us who know you and love you, to realize that we are representatives of you. That we may be the only, the only thing 
somebody sees or knows of you. So we pray that our actions would be consistent with the truth that is in your word. Father, you are making us into new creations, new creatures, something different than what we were. The old has passed away and we are becoming new. We are becoming like your son. So we look forward to that day that we will be with him. We will be like him. But until then, you have left us here with the struggles that we have, with the imperfection that we are, to be a testimony for you. Help us with this, we pray. We need your help. Father, I pray for each one here that as they were here this morning, that they would hear wherever they're at what they need. Father, if they don't know you, I pray that they would see that you desire everyone from all walks of life to come in faith to you, not by works of righteousness, not by anything they do, but purely by faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. Father, for us who are on this journey and struggling in different different areas and different ways, help us to help us to live out the truth that's in your word. So we can be a testimony for you in a world that needs to hear good news. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.